we are in week two of our series on, on wonder. And I was thinking about all the things that have given me pause that I've witnessed. Right? If, if we could share those, those moments, those visuals, those experiences that just like are awe-inspiring, it would have just some amazing stories. Right? If, I remember one time when I was kind of going over the things, and, and it's been a while, I think I was, I was setting a stone on my front yard yesterday, and I, I looked at Zan and I was like, man, I wish we could go to the mountains. Because if you've been in this part of the, you've been in this country, if you've ever traveled up the Rocky Mountain or, or went up Cameron Pass, man, we are so blessed to be in this part of the world. But I remember one time I went backpacking in the Raywas with my sons, and, and we were right at Timberline, and we were right at the, the uh, base of a, of a mountainous area with, a, with in between lakes. And at night, it got hot, so I got out, and I unzipped the rain fly, and I looked up. I was like, oh, my God. And it was like the, Mount, the, the Milky Way stretched from peak to peak. And it was so amazing that I remember waking up the boys, and I'm like, dude, you guys got to see this. And it was, it was like that, that sense of wonder going, this is amazing. I've experienced it. Uh, some of you know that I, I spend a lot of times uh, scuba diving when I was in, uh, on the coast of California, and I've had the the privilege and the joy of of diving in some some areas that that a lot of people don't get to dive in. And if you've ever been underwater, the first time you ever see a reef, it, it's it's like it's like a it's like an aquarium this size filled with all these fish of of colors that you can't imagine. And you, and you sit there and you swim, and, and if you're, you're in, I remember being in the Caymans, and the dive master says, you have to follow me because we're on a wall dive. And the hard part is not following him. The hard part is not being distracted and being so enamored and so lost in his creation of seeing small fish on a rock that's about this size, and there's more color in that than... And in some states. And you sit there, you're like, oh. And I remember that same dive where an eagle ray, you know what an eagle ray is? Big, long, wide thing that, that you sit and, and it's like this giant eagle ray just floats over here. And, 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 and you try to contain your breath because the quicker you breathe, the quicker you have to go up and, and, and lose the beauty. And over and over again through our lives, we are subjected and exposed to wonder. Parents, you know this. The first time you, you hold your child, like when I ha held my child, I was young and stupid and, and didn't know what I was holding, but I, I did, I, I really, that's being truthful. I was like, I was, what was I, 22? For all you people in college, I was in college working and had a kid. Thus, stupid. Um, but I remember holding him for the first time. Like, oh my God. What an amazing gift. And as a child grows, you remember the first smile? 
right? I mean, it's probably gas, but it doesn't matter to a parent because a parent will be like, oh, look, he's smiling at me. Remember the first giggle, the first time a child giggles, and you're just, you're awestruck by it. I remember the first time he caught a fish. They caught a fish. It was, I'm pretty sure it was up in, up in Rocky Mountain, and it was a tiny little brook trout, but it was like the giantest thing ever. And then I remember the first time they caught a tuna off the coast of, coast of California, and I was laughing because the rods bent over the boat, and they're, I'm letting it go. And my dad, being the loving grandpa that he was, is like, you let it go, boy, you're going to go in after it. But I, I, remember, I remember watching their eyes light up as they caught their first yellowtail and their first albacore. And I was like, man, this is amazing. My son's enjoying my God's creation and me enjoying both. For those of you that get married, you remember what your wife looked like when she walked down the aisle. And, 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 and that moment where you... Where you See her for the first time. I mean, really see her. Not like, wow, she's hot. I get to date her. (laughs) But like, she's a daughter of God. And my God has entrusted me with one of his kids. We are filled with a life of wonder. And there is nothing more amazing, nothing more captivating, nothing more encouraging than Christmas. Not Christmas with lights. I mean, I love lights. I love, you know, Christmas parades. I grew up in California, so you would go to Disneyland. Now, Disneyland's a happening place during Christmas time. Like, that's where the magic happens. Mickey wearing a Santa hat and, 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 you know, you're walking through all these lights and with 18 billion other people, but it's, 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 it's fun, right? We made jokes last week about buying gifts and there's, there's a certain sense of awe of, you know, what's your favorite gift or you remember those certain moments, but what am I talking about that? Because comparatively to Christmas, what, what really Christmas is about, everything pales in comparison. The, the, the idea that, that God came in something, uh, in, a, in a box, in, in a cave with livestock, to two teenagers, like you sit there and you're like, let's just, I, I, I wish me and you could just stop for a moment and, and really grasp the significance of it. And that's the goal of this morning. The goal this morning is to try to communicate to you the wonder of Christmas. And I think to understand it, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua. Joshua chapter 3, and it's kind of a weird section of Scripture to look at the Christmas story, but but I think it tells, it paints a picture of what was before Christ. 
Because to understand the impact of Jesus fully, you have to kind of go back in history. We are fortunate in, in our time to, to live in a Christian world, to live in a worldview that has Christ in it, but there was a point in time where Christ was nothing but a hope, something that an entire nation looked forward to but really didn't know what it was going to be or what it was supposed to be. It was just this thing out there, and because it was this idea, they had an opinion of God that was grounded in experience. And the story of Joshua begins, and this was after Israel left Egypt and was taken and set free from Egypt. It was after Israel went up to Canaan and where the spies went out and looked, hey, this is the land that God has promised us, a land filled with milk and honey, but it's also a land that's filled with giants, so we're not going to go in there because we're going to die. And God says, fine, walk around the mountain for 40 years. And it was after all that. In Joshua 3, it was a new generation of Israelites that did not define or limit themselves to experience God's blessing. They were pretty much kids. Everybody else was dead. There was nobody beyond that realm that could tell the story of being brought out of Egypt. There was no one that could explain anymore in in time and saying hey, I was once a slave and now I'm free. There was no one that could say, you know, God led us by by a pillar of fire and a cloud. There was was no one left to talk about the, the Egyptians being cast into the Red Sea. There was no one that could say, man, you should have been there that day on that coast. The entire ocean opened. These guys were a new generation and they were finally on the shores of the Jordan and they lifted up. They're like, man, we get to go into what God promised us. And, and in Joshua 3, 1 through 5, it says, Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left the Achaia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you and stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. I have, I have blazed through that section of scripture. I can't tell you the number of times I just went like, oh yeah, that's where, you know, they, they go across the Jordan and, and you tell stories about you know, the Jordan River and the foot and all this cool stuff and marching around Jericho. But I was captured in, in, in my study about that section. Stay about a half mile away. You see, the Israel as a nation stood at the, at the base of their promise and they were given instructions by the leaders of a nation. They said, hey, this is what you're going to do. You're going to look for these priests, guys. And then they're going to carry the ark. And the ark was a symbol of God's presence. It didn't contain, but it represented God's presence. And in the ark 
was representations of him. There was the tablets that Moses was on Sinai. There was a jar of manna that, that talked of God's provision. There was the rod of Aaron that talked of God's choosing and selection. And it was this amazing piece of art. In Exodus, it says they built a tabernacle, and in the center of the tabernacle was what they called the Holy of Holies, and in the center of the Holy of Holies was the ark. It was where God dwelled. It was where God was. God was an identifiable symbol that you couldn't get near. And that was what Israel understood. If you were going to ask an Israelite, if you and I were an Israelite, not a, not a priest, but just kind of an average guy standing on the Jordan, on the banks of the Jordan that day, you would go like, man, we got to stay a half a mile away from that thing because if we draw close to that, we're dead. It's not like, hey, we're going to have this, we're going to get slain in the spirit, we're going to experience God in a new, fresh way. No, we're going to get nuked. We're dead. To an Israelite, The presence of God was not something to pursue. The presence of God was something to avoid. For the average guy, because because even the priests, the Levitical priests, this is how scary it was. The Levitical priests in in, in the tabernacle had a bell on them. Right, And so when they, when they walked into the tabernacle, into the center, into where God's presence was, they had, a, had a bell on and they tied a rope to him. And the bell was to make sure that everybody outside knew that he was still walking, which meant he was still alive. And if the bell stopped or if he hit the ground and the bell went bing, 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 and then stopped, the guys on the outside are like, oh, man, we got problems. And they would pull the rope back and bring the dead priest out. Like, wow. For decades and hundreds of years, that was the, that was the idea of God. Holy and righteous and distant. That you could worship God, but you could not engage God because to engage God, you had to be everything. You had to be a priest that was set apart, and that's all that you ever did. And so for the average guy standing at the corner at the shore that day, when he heard the words and the instructions, he's like, absolutely, I'm staying way away from that thing. I mean, because I know I'm not as righteous as those guys and those guys you got to tie a rope to their back what would they have to tie me and so if God was distant then to the average guy on the shore that day God was unapproachable I mean how do you approach a holy righteous God How do you approach a God that is contained in the ark that was carried by poles by priests. They couldn't even put their hands on it. Like they had to, they had to march. And so everybody, it was, it was a distancing. But we couldn't, we couldn't come to him. We couldn't worship like God, come fill us. Be here. It freaked us out. 
So holy and righteous was God that sinful man could not engage in relationship with him. And so Israel, for the most part, held him at a distance. And there were certain people that would engage in him, but, but for the most part, it was this, it was this representation and, and, and a distancing of. And so we could never approach him, and we could never draw close to him, and we could never pursue him, and we simply followed. And then that thing happened. Then that thing happened. A little, a little manger, and it flipped history on its ear. Everything that humanity knew about God changed that Christmas day. Every perception that humanity had about God changed that day. God was no longer distant. He came near. It says in Matthew 1.23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. No longer hidden behind a veil, no longer contained by a, by a cabinet, no longer distant from humanity, no longer separate from the world. But God in his fullness came near and took the form of a baby. And I don't know if I can comprehend that. I don't know if I can understand how the God that, that, that set in place that Milky Way that stretched from peak to peak now is being held by a teenager. The God who at one time parted the seas. The God who, who, who came against Pharaoh and crushed armies. The God who led a nation to the promised land now cries. And is fed. He gets dirty. And, and I was thinking about that. I was like, my God. What an amazing, amazing thing. And sometimes we, we lessen the, the, the amount of it, right? Sometimes we dumb down Christmas. We, we sing awesome carols, but we, I don't know if we grasp what John tells us, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's talking about Jesus. The same Jesus that that was entrusted to Mary and Joseph. I don't know if we, we grasp what Colossians says, that in him, in Christ, in that baby, in Christmas, the fullness of the deity dwells. The fullness of the deity, not a part of it, not just the shiny stuff of it, but the same deity that said, hey, don't come within 2,000 yards of this thing or you're dead, now says... I'm a baby, and I'm being held by humanity. And again, in John writes that, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. 
Glory is the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And because he came to earth, man, he became approachable. And I hope that kind of makes us a little nervous. I hope the idea that holy, righteous God, who told an entire nation, don't draw within 2,000 yards of him, was the same God who walked the streets of ancient Galilee and said to Zacchaeus, hey, okay, come, man, I'm going to eat with you today. He's the same God who, who looks at the tax collectors and sinners and sits back and is accused because he's hanging with them. The same God that, that can, was contained, not contained, but whose presence was in the Holy of Holies where the priests had to have a, have a bell and a rope is now walking and goes to a wedding party and discovers that they're out of wine and makes jugs of the good stuff. He's the same God who, when the Pharisees dragged out the woman caught in adultery, bends down and writes something and looks up. It's like, hey, who's that sin cast the first stone? I have seen amazing things in, in this world. I have had the privilege of standing before Rembrandt's prodigal in Russia and just being awe-inspiring at man's creativity and his artistic touch. But there is nothing more beautiful than the fact that our Savior, God himself, came in the form of a babe so that he is approachable to you and I. And no matter where we've been, no matter what we bring, no matter the, the bags that we carry, Jesus tells you and me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The beauty of Christmas with all the magic and all the traditions and all the fun and all the eggnog is wrapped up in the fact that a distant God drew near to humanity. So great was his love for us that a distant God came near and walked among men and cooked breakfast for him. You want to be like awestruck? Ponder that for a moment. Ponder being a disciple the day, a few days after the, the resurrection of Jesus, doing what you do, sitting in a boat, casting fish, and see a man on a shore making a fire. Making a fire, not like going, and it's fire. And taking some fish and gutting fish because there was no safe way then. So the, the butcher department was closed that day, and so they couldn't just go buy fillets of tilapia. But that day he, he took in, in his hands, in his, his hold hands, takes a fish and guts it and fillets it and puts it on a fire. Why? Because he loved humanity. Man, talk about that word. 
You see, we, we romanticize Christianity and the story of Christ and the birth of Christ and Christmas to such a point that we lose its awe. We don't need to create anything more than what this book says because this book is filled with them stories that you're like, what'd you do? What you, what, you, you did what? You mean you spit? Made some mud slapped it on somebody's eye and they saw? You mean you didn't judge when everybody else around you was judging? You mean that you took the form of a servant? And humbled yourself? You mean you who who made those oceans and the waves and you wrapped yourself in a servant's cloth and knelt down and cleansed the feet of the very creation that you were a part of? And everything that God was, was contained in a little screamer. Man, stop for a moment. Can we this holiday season just for a moment come and and say, God came near? The writer in Hebrews tells us that the high priest, this high priest, this Jesus in Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 of ours, this Savior of ours, this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. Then he goes on in verse 16, and I love this section. So he's saying that Jesus, fully God, came in a form and was subjected to everything that we were subjected to, but he didn't sin. So in verse 16 he says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. 